This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to AHP. Thanks for joining me. Today I've got on the show, he's going to join me on the line in just a few moments. I've got Dan Selby from Sydney Sport Fishing Adventures. You might remember back in May of 2015 for episode 85, uh, I interviewed Dan on Mulloway. So catching Jewfish, how to catch them, lures, uh, live bait and techniques. And I thought what better person to get back on the show uh, to have a chat about catching that elusive kingfish. Now I've been on a boat before. Uh, I didn't actually catch the kingfish myself, but let me just say that was one of the most exciting things I've ever done watching somebody catch a kingfish the way they fight one of the biggest pound for pound fighters uh, of fish you can possibly even dream of catching and it was awesome to watch I tell you just very very enjoying uh, watching someone uh, bring in a kingfish and uh, Dan is the owner operator of Sydney Sport Fishing Adventures he works obviously out of Sydney he uh, can take you up to the Hawkesbury River. He takes you in Sydney Harbour, and uh, he's able to get you out there, get you onto those fish, especially someone whose whole business model is making sure you're able to get a fish. Dan does a fantastic job. You've only got to look on Sydney Sport Fishing Adventures Facebook page, and you can get an absolute look at the awesome Jewfish Kings, Brim, Flathead, all the different species that he catches. So I'm going to bring him onto the show. All right, Dan, mate, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. To chat with me again, we were talking uh, on episode 85, Mulloway Tactics, and uh, that was that was awesome. So glad to have you back today to talk about Kingfish. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Anytime, Jason. It's great to be back, mate. Um, and, uh, yeah, today we're going to be talking about uh, catching some kingfish around Sydney. First off, I guess people will want to find out, just again, if they haven't listened to episode 85, they should have, so go back and listen to that if they haven't listened to it. But tell us about the business. What do you do? You take people out. Where can they contact you? Uh, websites, uh, phone numbers, etc. if they want you to take them out and try and land some of those uh, elusive kingfish. Yep, not a problem at all, mate. Um, so, uh, I re- own and operate Sydney Sport Fishing Adventures. Um, I fish on the Sydney Harbour and the Hawkesbury River. Um, we target kingfish, mulloway, etc., brim flathead. Um, and people can find me at uh, www.sydneysportfishing.com.au or uh, you could send me a text or give me a call on 0405196253 um, or look us up on Facebook or Instagram. Yeah, I know. I've been following your stuff. I'm really jealous. It's like, I don't know if you, you get to fish, I guess, after you've maybe taken clients and some of the fish you've got. Totally awesome. Totally jealous. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Yeah, <laughs> I get jealous of some of their captures too, mate. <laughs> Saying that, though, before we start, I wanted to actually talk about that too, because very because especially I mean, Sydney, people say it's very hard to fish in Sydney. And obviously, I guess your whole business model is, I guess, based on catching fish, so either you get repeat business or word of mouth for other businesses. So how have you been able to develop the business to make sure, I guess, you get a consistent supply of, of uh, I guess, fish coming in? So it's obviously you know, a financial, good financial business for you. Basically, it all comes down to the one percenters. Um, the smaller things that we take care of um, in the things that we can control as anglers, so our tackle, our setup, our approach, um, this is what helps us catch fish on a regular basis. Uh, as you said, Sydney is the most densely populated place in Australia. Um, the fish populations are quite cagey, um, so it requires us to fish a lot lighter um, most of the time. And also just the angle of our approach, because don't ever forget that you're an angler and you go angling. I mean, I've been trying to get, you know, certain fish. I don't know if I'm going too heavy, I'm, I'm not going I'm going not light enough, or depends. There's a lot of different factors, isn't there, I guess? And that's probably why people should come out with you, because they can get it right, get out there and start, uh, I guess, t- uh, yeah, tackling some of those fish. Yeah, that, that's exactly right, mate. It's, a, it's definitely a short course to, the, to an end game. Um, it, it can speed up people's results and, and enlighten them to the, the gear that we actually use as professionals to tangle with these fish on a daily basis. Um, yeah, it definitely gives you a lot of insight. Yeah, so what, sure. have you, what have you been doing anyway since we spoke last? Been taking out a lot of people. Any any exciting, I guess, stories you can tell me to start off with? Any happy, obviously a lot of happy clients, I'm guessing, but any ones in particular yeah. where they've been stoked, caught some great fish? Um, there's, oh, there's, there's a lot of them. For every every client, there's a, a PB or a, you know, a first or I've never seen that before. So uh, it's hard to sort of narrow it down to just one thing, but I, I totally, like just even today, catching a kitty's first fish 
And then he had a grand slam in the harbour of Benito, Taylor, Salmon and a Kingfish, all on 10-pound tackle. Um, and, you know, high fives and elation and just super pumped clients. And it's it's nearly daily. It's it's very hard to pinpoint um, a specific capture. Um, we've got a couple of good juice since we talked last time um, in that sort of 50-pound range um, and even one that was probably nudging 60 to 70-pound. Um, and that was on, on pretty light tackle, on 15-pound tackle. Mm. You ever get um, sick of fishing, man, taking people out? You ever get sick <laughs> of enjoying being out there? I guess, you know, probably early starts in the morning, a lot of, lot of cleaning the boat, making sure everything's ready to go for the next day. Yeah, maintenance is probably the biggest burden, but um, I never get sick of taking people out and meeting new people out, out on the water there. Um, I get sick of getting sunburnt. that's about the the bane of it all the bane of the existence but it's hard to complain about my job and no one will listen to you about it (laughs) exactly not like my job sitting in a cubicle like you know i feel like one of those guys in new york city that'll never get out from from behind that cubicle so but um mate the kingfish let's tell us about that kingfish i know i've actually been on a boat with someone and I must admit, even even I wasn't catching the fish. It was one of the most exciting things I've actually seen, watching him take it, run very, very hard. So tell us, I guess, about the kingfish just in general, a bit about the fish species. Okay, so the species themselves, so they're, they're part of the Lalandi family. Uh, they're Seriola Lalandi. Uh, they're a hard-fighting oceanic pelagic species. Uh, they have a forked tail, uh, which is very indicative of a hard-fighting and hard-pulling fish, uh, lots of fast runs and sustained energy. Um, but the one thing that kingfish is renowned for is its very dirty fighting tactics. Um, so they will take any chance they can to wipe you out, whether it's on structure on the bottom or a, a marker can or your own vessel. They will take that opportunity. Um, they, they test <laughs> anglers tackle and end their angling skills to the limits. Um, they're probably one of the hardest fighting fish we've got on the uh, on the east coast. It's accessible to people inshore as well. Yeah, what, what sort um, of parts of it? Is it just Australia? It's just on the east coast? I think I was looking at something the other day and New Zealand have got kingfish as well, the same same species as well that are in New Zealand as well? Same species, yes, but they seem to, um, I kind of refer to that place as Jurassic Park. Exactly, I've but, seen the photos, crazy. It's crazy. I've been there and experienced that it is um, off the charts. It really is. But um, Sydney's kingfish, even though smaller, seem to fight equally as hard as those big ones. <laughs> they, um, they, they sort of, I don't know, they're, they're kind of possessed in a way. <laughs> they're a really dirty fighting fish, and it's probably the nature of where we, where we target them um, specifically. Is, is type structure is usually where you'll find the best bites. You were talking about then dirty fighting, and I was having a chat uh, to my friend today about what questions I think I should ask about it. Obviously, you know, a lot of different fish, a lot of different ideas. But we're talking about the dirty fighting now. I had, I guess, my, my question would be: Is do we think they're purposely trying to bust us off, or is it the fish is just actually trying to get to cover to try and get away from whatever the perceived threat is, and yeah. we just perceive that as dirty fighting, or is it nah. actually like they really are trying to? Well, I don't like this thing in my mouth. I'm trying to cut you off. Yeah, they ram you straight in there. <laughs> there's, there's no sort of um, – well, I don't think – well, you can get a fish that will inadvertently cut you off, say if it's taking a long run and the line angle changes and gets very acute. They can easily just swim sidewards and, and cut you off on something. But the perfect example of this is a fish that we um, landed yesterday around the 5-kilo mark, and we caught that at an open surface school casting on 10-pound line, very light jig head and, uh, and a very small little soft plastic minnow. And that fish, once we got it up near the boat after about 10 minutes of dogged fighting down near the bottom, came up and held up underneath the boat and the angler had to stay bent over the side of the boat with half his rod put in the water. And this fish was physically slamming its head into the bottom of my boat. We could hear it. Whack, whack, whack. All the while with the excitement and everything of me, um, you know, guiding the client to keep his rod down there and to stay in that position. Um, until this fish, you know, tied further and swam out. But it, it stayed under the boat and was trying to – I had to trim the main engine. I had to remove the electric motor out because it was carving left to right, left to right, and was trying for the world to bust him off. And when we landed it, it had marks all over its face from where it was hitting the bottom of the hull. And there was a true indication that they physically put themselves on the line to actually try and get away. Unbelievable. 
it was very unbelievable. It was a very <laughs> educational experience, and I've seen it before. But this fish was was possessed. It was determined to to bust us off. What size was that one? Was that a good size fish? It was about five kilo. Wow! So it was, it was a nice uh, legal fish from the harbour, right in front of the harbour bridge and opera house. Superb angling and, and fighting on on ten pound tackle. So it's a pretty appropriate tackle. What do they normally diet on? What do they What do they normally eat? Okay, so the, their diet is. Um, very wide. You'll hear a guy's catching them on a prawn or a piece of pilchard, um, so they will sort of um, pick up baits off the bottom, but it's more so they target bait fish. So we're talking yellowtail, um, slimy mackerel. We're talking little anchovies, which is what they're currently feeding on right now in Sydney Harbour. Um, and anchovies, white bait, um, just any small fry that they can ball up into a, a bait ball, and they especially love squid and cuttlefish. Um, they will eat octopus. Um, yeah, the, what they eat is is so widely varied. It's quite incredible. I'm, I'll never forget a, a fish we caught on a live cuttlefish in the harbour, and uh, we kept it. It was 89 centimetres. We cut it open, and um, it had a whole legal size whiting in its stomach. And that, that's a bottom fish. So, <laughs> Dan, is there good amounts of kings in the harbour? Yeah, there certainly is, Jason, mate. Um, but it's very dependent because they're an oceanic pelagic. It depends on whether. Uh, we get good currents and good schools of fish moving uh, along the coast and then actually decide to come into the harbours. Um, so these days we're seeing more resident fish staying in the harbour. They're generally a bigger class of fish, wiser for that matter as well. Um, and they stay in the harbour. Um, this past winter has been an absolute blinder on the big kingfish in the harbour. Um, but at the moment, um, come summertime, as long as all these bait schools move in, the kingfish, bonito, and all the rest of them are usually not too far behind them. And currently, the biomass in the harbour is phenomenal. Yeah, right. Um, there's a there's a lot of fish in that harbour. Would you like to advertise on one of the most tech-savvy mediums on the internet? Then why don't you advertise with us on the Australian Hunting Podcast? If you have a product or business that you would like to promote, then we would love to hear from you. Become one of our partner advertisers by calling Jason on 0425 881 967 or email Podcast at gmail.com. Is it generally if they're coming in, is that an indication that they'll generally be, say, uh, schooling fish or they'll be generally on the smaller side or is that totally wrong? Yeah, so they'll usually come in at smaller sizes. You can get schools of bigger fish come in, but usually we get uh, and a smaller juvenile kingfish under 65 centimetres we refer to as a rat, a rat kingfish, uh, and you'll get plagues of rats. And some days it's hard to get through them. You might catch 25 fish, but they're all undersized. Um, under that 65 centimetre legal size. So there is, and there's lots of competition between them. But then some other days you might not see too many um, smaller rats and you'll just catch a few good sized legal ones. So it, it all depends. The big ones are always there and, and the little ones are always there um, for most of summer and uh, autumn. It just depends on the season and on uh, the bait availability in the harbour as to what you're sort of catching. It's hard to predict long term what's going to come into the harbour but it's getting better and better every year we know that really from okay speaking of that from years how long have you been running the business for again so it's seven years now is it better now than it was seven years ago yeah most definitely mm. um the population's definitely growing in size and it's they're definitely getting uh increasing in numbers as well um we're seeing that through everything but they fisheries still um say that they're sitting at around seven percent of the actual virgin biomass so We've still got a long way to go to build the numbers back to what they were. Yeah. T- time of year, when should we be targeting kings? What time of the year? So you can target kingfish all year round. Um, because I'm limited to only fishing in the estuary, uh, we generally start, well, it's hard to know when to start because some years, like this year, drier year, the fish were in very early. And then other years, um, it hasn't been until December where we start getting regular catches. Um, so it all depends, but they usually always hang around until about June or July, like right before winter and before the water temperature really drops. But the, the beginning of the season, you know, you'd say anywhere October, November, December. You know, it, it just depends on the season. If it's a very wet year and pretty cold lead up, it can be later in the year. If it's dry and warm like this year, a lot sooner. Do you spend most of your time, I guess, this year from onwards in the harbour compared to, say, the Hawkesbury or, or a bit of mixed match? 
yeah, no, definitely. I've got a lot more tourists and a lot more um, a lot more people coming into the harbour and, and wanting to experience that pelagic activity. And why wouldn't you? With Sydney Harbour, the coat hanger and the opera house as a backdrop, what's yeah. not to love about a trip down there? Let's talk about some interesting stuff such as bait or lures. Let's, let, let's do a bit of both. Let's start with bait first. Obviously, fresh, frozen, live. What's the best bait we should be using? Live caught on the day and used immediately. If not used right where you've just caught it, uh, is usually a good place to try and target a kingfish. Um, if the bait's there, the, the fish will be there. So uh, we usually start our day targeting squid slash cuttlefish um, and or yakkers if we're going to be live baiting. Um, slimies are a bit of a hit and miss in the harbour. If we can catch them, we'll keep them and, and use them. Um, but yakkers are a definite, um, a definite sort of possibility most days of the week. Uh, when we catch them, we either run them on a flat line, which is a single hook, um, and then the baits run out about 30 metres behind the boat and dragged along at idle speed. Um, the fish is usually allowed to take line freely off the spool once it's eaten the bait, and then we click the bale um, or, or engage the reel on an overhead and set the hooks on a fish that's taken the bait. Um, and then the other method is um, downrigging. So we're using a big lead bomb on a boom arm, um, it's got its own counter and heavier cord. I'm using braided line on mine. A lot of guys have still got the steel cable. Um, and we use that in conjunction with a release clip, and it takes our baits down to desired depths, so um, usually about half the depth of the water column. Uh, and then we slow troll them around likely areas, marker cans, wrecks, reefs, deeper holes, headlands, um, uh, wherever you can locate a bait ball. Um, and we'll, we'll pull them around and when a fish eats it, it'll pull it out of the clip and gets a little bit of slack line for a moment and then uh, hooks up. And the beauty of that technique is you're mobile and can present baits right to where fish are. If you see them sitting at seven metres on the, on the sounder, you can drop a bait straight to seven metres and pull it past one's nose. And uh, hugely effective technique. Um, it allows you to cover a lot of ground. Uh, but it's not the be-all and end-all either. So you can also anchor up or, or spot lock using an electric motor these days and present baits um, from rod holders or out of uh, the angler holding the rod and present baits vertically straight down to the fish. Um, and that can turn them into a frenzy and result in multiple hookups because you can have multiple lines in the water. Um, yeah, you're usually stuck to one sort of spot though and if you're over structure, you, the losses can be heavy. So. <laughs> where, 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 do, where do they normally hang out in the water column? I mean, obviously, you know, being an amateur like me, I would, you know, have obviously have you know a weight on there. I would throw it out. It would. Are they a bot? Are they a bottom feeding fish? Mid water column, surface. Where, where do they generally hang out at? Yeah, you're talking more mid to surface, but it's not uncommon to catch them on the bottom. It was only just last week that we tried to have a bit of a dewy session with some. Um, some squid that we had left over at the end of the day, and we ended up with four kingfish and one jewfish, and all of those baits were presented to the bottom with wow. lead and sunk to the bottom. So it's, yeah, as I said, they can scab down on the bottom a little bit um, and, and be no different to a brim, but for the most part, you're, you're fishing sort of mid-water and definitely on the surface. Like there's nothing like throwing some lures around and getting the kingfish to come up and belt one off the surface. It's, it's hard in mouth stuff. The Australian Hunting Podcast is the only hunting, shooting and fishing podcast radio show in Australia. With over 40,000 downloads per month, you are sure to find some information that can help you. If you love hunting, shooting, fishing and a little bit of politics, the Australian Hunting Podcast has you covered. To listen, check us out on iTunes and visit australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. What, what do you normally do? Let's say, obviously, someone someone doesn't have a downrigger. They're obviously, as you said, mid to high. Do you then, if someone's just got you know, a basic tackle, they put it in the water, obviously, if they've got a decent sinker, it is going to go to the bottom. Have you then got to lift that up? And I guess that's where probably a downrigger, as you said, would be probably be most appropriate because you know exactly where in the water column, I guess, your, uh, your bait is being presented. But what's someone that doesn't have it? How are they able to do that? Are they just you know, releasing the bale and saying, well, I think I'm down about 10 metres and I'm in this part of the water column generally? Or how would they, how would they work that? Yeah, so you can either either do it that way, hit the bottom and then come up a certain amount of turns. You could measure how many turns your reel does and how much line it retrieves so that you have a general idea. You could use a texture and colour your line at a certain depth like and pre-measure the, the distance out. 
or another one of the other easiest ways to do it, and it actually presents your bait down through the water column um, in a nice way that fish respond to, is say if you're sitting in 20 metres, you want it to go down 10. You can, and you've got a fair bit of lead on your rig. You can throw out a, roughly 10 metres to the side of you, thus being able to gauge the distance, close over the, the bail arm or, or uh, lock the reel into gear if it's an overhead immediately, and then the bait will pendulum down and swing down to that depth. Yeah, good idea. The, yeah, thus you know sort of how far um, roughly that you're down. But, uh, you know, marking it with a texture or putting a little braid loop on there or, you know, tying a little bit of braid around the line. There's so many different sort of ways you could do it. You can use a depth um, coloured braid. Yeah, there's, there's so many different ways. A lot of guys offshore will drop all the way to the bottom and then wind up through them using reels that roughly take a metre of line per turn. So you count your turns up and then you've got a rough metery, uh, meterage mark of where you're at. What percentage do you think, I mean, I guess of live bait – compared to lures that you use when you go out like first would you start with you know bait then go to lures is it yeah 60 percent live 40 percent lure generally what are you working with yeah well recently it's 100 percent lures so it, it all depends every season's different so we're always like the beauty of it is is you can always carry lures because you don't have to keep them alive or anything they can just be there ready so um, a normal day it usually start with collecting live bait um, and then we've got the ability, if the live bait's tough, we don't catch any, we're unsuccessful, we can use lures. Uh, but just recently, I've been uh, eliminating the, the fact, and it's just with the client's choice also, that um, we skip catching live bait and use that crucial first light period to actually target the better fish on the lures, and it's been paying dividends. Mm. Um, if the day then turned out to be um, you know, a bit slow for the lures, we'd possibly turn around and go and try and catch a few squid and then change our approach, present the baits down deeper to fish that are holding on structure. How, how, how's your success been with the lures? Pretty good? It's been exceptional lately. Really? Uh, lots of fish, lots of different species um, and, and just good-sized kings. We're getting a few legal ones each day. Um, definitely getting a couple of losses as well, and that's just uh, sort of factored in because you're running light gear. So we've got to get the bite in the first place. And so fishing light tackle is is and presenting the small lures that they're feeding on at the moment. You need the light tackle to present it. Um, if those fish, however, move into some dense moorings, the percentage of capture goes in the favour of the kingfish, not the angler. <laughs> but I guess that's pretty exciting for people too, you know, when they're actually out there and their reel starts buzzing or your reel, I should say, starts buzzing or unless they bring their own gear um, and you sit there and say, you know, well, this is that's still pretty fun. I mean, I'd like to get smoked off than, I guess, sit there and keep <laughs> casting out and, and get nothing whatsoever. I mean, that would still be pretty fun for me. And I guess that's, a, I guess, very, you know, a very visual thing for people that actually come out on the water to see that and go, well, there was something good there. I know that much. Oh, most definitely. And um, I, I've been using a, a little bit of a Shakespeare type terminology lately. It's better to have hooked and have lost than to have never hooked at all. <laughs> true, <laughs> true. Yeah, you're right. 100%. Um, talking about lures, what's uh, good these days? I, I would think, and I'm, I'm probably going to be wrong here because you're the expert, you know, that people would expect to go out there. I know a guy at my work, he loves getting out in his boat. He's running like a 100 pound line or 80 pounds, some crazy <laughs> amount of leader, and he's still losing them. I don't know what, if he's fishing right or wrong, but what, wow. I would think throwing, you know, big. You know, a lures at them would be most effective. Again, am I wrong? Yes, no, it is. It is effective. So, but you got to pick your schools of fish. Currently, the the fish that are in there are eating bait fish that are two to three inches long. And so, if you were throwing a nine inch lure in there, the likelihood of you getting a bite on fish that are totally fixated on this small bait is very unlikely. Mm. Um, whereas, if we were sitting right next to you guys throwing that nine inch one, and we were throwing our two and three inch lures on the light gear you'd probably be watching us catching fish whilst looking for the same lure in your tackle box. So it's all different and it depends on what the fish are physically feeding on. Um, So you want to be carrying, as an angler, you want to be carrying lures from that two to three-inch size in little minnows and things. A lot of the fly guys catch them when they're they're being fussy like that. Um, And then as the bait starts to grow, they start becoming a little bit easier for us spin spin tackle guys. So And then you're moving into soft plastics – little metal slices or even these days those little micro jigs, um, small surface lures like you'd use on brim and whiting and things like that. 
Uh, it's all just to match the hatch because these fish, they're, they're no different to a trout. Once they get fixated on a specific bait or prey item, they are solely focused on eating that. Then it's very rare to get one to um, to stray and eat something um, bigger. What but, would what would you say was more like the obviously you said the micro jigs and that soft plastics? Which ones generally your your ones that are consistently picking up fish? Because I've, I mean, I've I've tried example. I'm not obviously on kingfish, but hard bodies. I just can't catch anything on those things. I don't know if it's my technique. I don't know what yeah. it is. You know. So generally, what are your what are your first go tos? So and you're, uh, so you're looking at just any three inch minnow. So you've got ones um, by Z-Man and Berkeley and Squidgy. Just anything that looks like a small little um, minnow, and they're generally a straight profile. Um, so there's no paddle tail or any any flashy bits. They've usually just got a little twin fork on the on the end, mm. and um, a very slender profile. And you're rigging those on on one eighths or um, anything up to a quarter or three-eighths sometime if you've got a lot of wind or you need to cast it into very spooky fish. Um, and so there's heaps of them on the market. Atomics have made them before. And, you know, you get different brands coming and going, but you're looking for a very small profile minnow um, is is the, the key to it all. And then matching the hatch. So you usually get a good gauge of what the bait fish looks like once you've been there. And they will be different colours in different watercolours and things like that. And one colour will be working better than others. Um, there is no right or wrong. Um, over the years, the one there's been one consistent one, and that's a Berkeley three-inch minnow in Casper, Casper Clear. And it, as the name suggests, it's it's ghostly clear um, and can obviously represent a smaller size. Um, and then like, you can use lures that go all the way up through the spectrum, four-inch, five-inch lures, six-inch to nine-inch are usually a favourite for people trying to catch bigger kings. And you usually work those around actual structures the fish hang around, as opposed to uh, when the fish are on the, the frogmouth pilchard or anchovy schools, which they currently are, they're feeding on microscopic stuff or, or smaller lures. Are you looking to buy a new or used firearm? Do you want to sell that safe queen to fund your next purchase? Then go to OzGunSales.com. We have over 200 registered firearms dealers Australia-wide and thousands of shooters using the site daily. There are over 2,500 firearms listed, so you're certain to find exactly what you're looking for. We have over 50 years of firearms industry experience, including 8 years online. So why wouldn't you advertise with us? The one and only genuine original OzGuns. What about uh, depth? You know, obviously when you're fishing lures, what, what's that depth you're getting into? Is that different from your live baiting, for example? No, not at all. So um, currently, on the, even on these schools, we're seeing fish busting up on the surface. One of the best techniques is to actually cast in and not actually retrieve your lures to let it sink down through the school. Um, and you can catch those fish right down on the bottom, um, but it's usually mid-water, and then you, you're bringing your lure back up really at a, at a rapid um, pace, quite quite quick and, and jerky if you can manage it at the same time, and back to the surface. So those kingfish love trapping prey against the surface. They love hitting a surface lure, um, and they love chasing a lure across the surface, and often seen with a bow wave or a yellow tail chasing your lure down. Um, and then whether the angle, whether you speed the lure up or slow it down in their face and to see what the fish's reaction is, it's quite a visual affair. But um, it's hard to say. Like, you just fish for them where they are. If, they, if you're not seeing them on the surface, you fish for them down deeper. If you're seeing them on the surface, you fish for them on the surface. Mm. Um, but I have gone out in sessions first thing in the morning and just thrown surface lures around um, structures and wrecks and things like that, marker cans, marker poles. Um, and anywhere you can see any kind of bait movement or seagulls or anything like that, and it pays dividends, you know, just just fishing the surface. And you can get some big fish to throw caution to the wind and come up and eat surface lures. Mate, it sounds exciting. Are you getting me licking my lips just thinking about it? <laughs> and that's why I want someone to show me, you know what I mean? Like, as in pay for your services, hey, let's go and do it, and hopefully I'm <laughs> – but then again, sometimes I tend to bring bad luck, so no, my luck, I'll be unlucky, no doubt. But um, <laughs> I have heard of you as the human banana. <laughs> exactly. When I, go, I, I can't, you know, go when I go hunting, I can't, you know, get things when I'm you know, fishing or – I try, but, you know, I, I, I might take on some of your tips. But talking about you're not, the... You're not taking your fishing rod hunting and your uh, shotgun fishing, yeah, are you? That's what I feel like I'm doing, I think. Trust me on that. Um, 
Uh, <laughs> tackle, let's talk about that because that's very important. I know obviously being a really hard fighting fish, as I said, guy from my work, crazy amounts of you know, high poundage gear, you're saying, which is good, not necessary. So to get that bite, tell us about gear. So, you know, okay, rods, no, the heavy reels, gear is, is necessary. So I run a di- bit of a different line because we like to catch just the run of the mill sort of fish, legal fish um, that, you know, aren't growing to these uh, huge proportions. Guys that have already experienced, like your colleague at work, he may have caught a thousand smaller kingfish. And he's after one trophy fish, one absolute monster. And so 100 pounds probably about right on target. Now, he's not going to get a lot of bites off a lot of fish. But the ones he hooks, and this could be his problem, are probably going to be monsters. And uh, and they're wiping him out. So so I run a little bit different. I don't go 100 pound. I'm half of that. 50 pounds my heavy gear. And I'll run up to an 80-pound leader on that. Uh, I use that for live baiting, generally on the downrig or when we're sitting there stationary bait fishing. And then we come back to lure, fu- lure casting with those sort of five to nine-inch lures. I'm at around 20-pound tackle, um, about the same tackle we're talking about with in the Dewey segment uh, that I live bait with. But we're throwing lures, bigger lures um, on that tackle. And then if they're being fussy, we might even put a live bait on that tackle. But is that twenty pound braid? What about leader when you're throwing those bigger, yep. bigger lures? Twenty, twenty pound and twenty pound. You can pop a thirty pound leader on there, but you will find your bites decrease, especially in Sydney. So it's it's the fine line. To, as you remember, we're trying to hook the fish initially. We can worry about fighting tactics <laughs> later <laughs> after the hooks in. <laughs> yeah, true. Eh? Good point. So yeah, you got to hook it first. So and so you could pretty pretty much get away with three outfits, and then you've got about a ten pound outfit, eight to ten pound. Uh, again, that's the same crossover outfit I was talking about throwing um, smaller soft plastics for your mulloway on. Um, this outfit, this with 2,500 size reel, 3 to 6 kilo rod, 8 to 10 pound braid, and then matching leaders, you can go 8, 10, 12, 14 pound leader on that outfit. All depends on the target and um, and the terrain that you're in. But you can also use that outfit for running a bait jig on to catch yakkers first thing in the morning. You can use it to cast a squid jig around. You can use it to cast these small metal lures or small soft plastics or small surface lures at the kingfish schools when they're feeding on small stuff. So you've got a lot of crossover. So you don't need to gear up and, and buy a whole other boat to fit all the gear in. It's just a, a refined selection of gear um, for what you're likely to encounter. And a lot of it can cross over and, and double and do different things. Yeah. Are you seeing big differences like from that? Let's say your your, your heavy soft plastic twenty twenty pound to your to your eight to ten lower stuff. Are you getting if they're not hitting the say the twenty pound? Do you find you know you drop it down? They start hitting that ten pound, or is it is it pretty consistent? Well, so I'd probably never the areas I'd throw twenty pound in would be around um, like structures. So we're talking marker poles, wrecks, and things. So we've got that little bit of beefiness. So we've got some chance of getting the fish away and castability and all the rest of it. The 10-pound stuff we're using out on open water generally, on surface schools that are busting up out in the middle, and we need to present that smaller lure to them. So I would never, um, on my own boat, switch down, say, around the wedding cakes or something in the harbour. I would never switch down to 10-pound in that scenario. Um, You're just asking for trouble. I, I catch the fish that guys hook on that tackle around those structures. They've still got line hanging out their mouths. <laughs> You got no stopping power. If that fish decides it's going for cover, you're a goner. On fifteen pound, you can put your hand on the spool, and you've got a fair chance. Or fifteen twenty pound, you got a fair chance. On fifty pound, that fish probably wouldn't even take drag around that that structure. You'd just drag it out. So it's horses for courses, and your angler has to be selective. Now, sometimes you can't be selective. A fish will just eat what it wants to eat. And you know the stories are written and the the tales are told. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. mate, this is exciting. I, I'm getting more excited. I'm, th- I'm thinking about my fishing trip towards the end of the year. Whilst there's no uh, kingfish down in Malakut, I'm looking forward to getting out there again and doing a bit of fishing. I haven't for a while, so you're getting me excited for that trip, mate. So that's a positive. Okay, you were talking <laughs> about um jig heads as well. So you were saying what size jig heads are you generally using on the the twenty pound gear, the ten pound gear? Uh, I guess obviously in depth. What sort of depth you said you were fishing in that in that water column? Yeah, so. You know, it all depends on the depth of water that's under you. And you're usually selecting the jig head for these guys for castability with your lure on the tackle. So on the 10-pound stuff, we've been using um quarter of an ounce. That's just to pull that sort of thicker 10-pound braid off our reels. 
um, you can easily get away with if you were running sort of thinner braid and had very good casting accuracy and, and ability um, and get away with a one-eighth of an ounce. Um, so, And then when you get up to that 15-pound gear, a lot of the times you're casting sort of unweighted plastics or running a ball sinker in front of a, a, a weedless worm hook on a lure called a sluggo or a stick bait, which acts like a snake in the water when you um, pull it quite fast. They get a bit of an S on, an S to their, their action. Um, and you're just adjusting that to the wind conditions and everything and, and the current flow and the depth of water um, to where you want to fish it. So you can fish it from unweighted and then add more lead to get your lure down to the bottom. Um, I've commonly gone to ridiculous weights just to plummet it to the bottom so that the lure can be retrieved back through the water column um, in heavy current. So you're just trying to get it down there as quick as you can to be able to bring it back through there. Um, I've used at times uh, one ounce vibes and things um, in that same scenario just to present the fish with something different, small, compact, but very heavy to get down. Um, and that's where if you really wanted to get down quickly to the fish, a micro jig, you know, you're talking 20 to 40 grams of weight, very compact. And you can flutter those things straight down to the fish pretty much vertically, pays dividends, yeah. erratic retrieve back through the middle of them. In the harbour, you generally seeing, I mean, obviously there's current coming in and out. Is there big current in, in the harbour or is it a steady sort of steady sort of current coming in or a heavy current run throughout the day? Oh, no, well, it all depends on your tides. So bigger tides around the moon period bring bigger tides, bigger current flow. Smaller tides at the moment, we've been having very small tides. The water clarity is unbelievably clear. Um, smaller tides, but we're still catching fish. So it might not work with one technique, might not work where the fish might not be sitting on structures that are current licked. We're catching them on the surface, eating these bait schools. Current's not a real factor. Uh, but kingfish do tend to like a lot of current flow. It brings them food. And they don't mind sitting in the stuff. Um, they're they're well tuned to it. Their body shape and everything. They're well tuned to sitting in the current. Uh, so that doesn't really affect them. In fact, the more flow, generally, the better the fishing is my rule of thumb. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And you were talking about before when they're obviously you see them. Are they generally you know just for people that obviously don't know a lot about kingfish? Are they generally a schooling fish? If you see them, you are going to see, you know, large amounts of them. Two to three, ten to twenty, a couple of hundred. How many would you normally see in a, in a group of the? Uh, kingfish the rats whatever you'd like to call them yeah so it can be exactly what you said there you can see schools of two and three fish Um, sometimes they're the bigger fish and then usually the smaller the fish the bigger the school that they're in Uh, more safety and um yeah that's generally the way that you see them it's it's you know schools on the surface some days it can look like half an acre other days there's just tiny little schools you know it could only be a handful of fish there that are actually pushing the bait up to the surface it's just different all the time because they're a pelagic, there's no hard and fast rules about those fish. They can, you know, combine into schools and then they can also be separated and, and you know, um, break up and take on their own bait school, especially when there's so much bait lot there is at the moment. What Do they have any natural predators? I mean, obviously, I would guess sharks, anything else that's a natural predator to the kingfish? Seals. Seals would um, likely have a good go at them. Um, I do recall... It would have been around eight years ago there was a massive kingfish. It was very early in the season, about September, feeding on these anchovies like they are now. And um, a pod of about 150 dolphins came in. The fish were up near the harbour bridge, came in and decimated them in one day. And there was barely a fish to be caught thereafter. Bloody yeah. dolphins. Bloody, Bloody dolphins. dolphins. <laughs> Get them out of there. You know? <laughs> Watch what you're saying, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Get them out of there. <laughs> we're trying to fish here. <laughs> in, in speaking about that too, you were uh, before you were talking about you know moons and stuff. How important is that? What about the barometer? Is that all just um, you know hocus pocus, or is that is that a legitimate thing? And and what are the best times of day to uh, to catch them? Uh, you know, morning, night, middle of the day, tides doesn't matter. Night time's not a really done thing over here. You will see incidental captures at night, but it doesn't seem to be a fishery that anyone's sort of um, really discovered or promoted. Most fish are caught during daylight hours, um, early morning, late afternoon, like most fish is the key time. A uh, little bit of overcast like we had today, and those fish can feed all day long. Um, and they will feed on nice, beautiful, warm, sunny days, and you'll catch them all day long. Um, there's no real preferred. It's more about just finding active schools of fish, which when they get in um, larger numbers, it creates competition, and you can see um, you know, large numbers of fish throughout the day in bright, sunny conditions. Um, it's more about the bait availability, the water currents and things. Um, as 
with your question towards the moon and things, you may see um, fluctuations of activity around there, and that's just because of the um, stronger tidal flow bringing more bait or bringing less bait. It, it could go the opposite way. Um, I've seen all sorts of patterns occur. Uh, I don't think weather patterns are really one of them. Um, a kingfish doesn't have much of a swim bladder at all, um, and so they're, they're not highly affected, not like freshwater fish or, or mulloway as, as such. Um, so you can, you can pretty much get them most days when you're out there. They're pretty reactive and, um, and uh, forthcoming. As long as you've got nice baits and good presentations to the fish or good lure presentations to them, um, they are a viable target uh, when they're in season, yeah. What about knots too? I notice obviously being a hard-pulling fish, what's the general, the go-to knot that you might use on your, I guess, you know, not only your live baits but also your lures as well to make sure, you know, you've got a good strong knot there? Yeah, so my braid to leader connection is always done with a FG knot these days. So it stands for fairly good. It's better than that. Um, you can use your imagination if you like. It should be called an FT knot um, because it works like a finger trap. Um, there's no real knot as such um, on the, the monofilament side. So you can run heavy leaders that you can uh, run really long leaders and wind them onto the spool uh, without them being caught in the guides or the runner of the reel. Um, and it, it's probably at around 90% breaking strain. It is the knot to tie these days. Um, it is in, in on trend and it is the flavour of the month or the year. But um, I've been using it for a couple of years now and it is a very good knot. Um, and then we get down to terminal tackle. Um, I, I snell hooks on um, for two hook rigs when we're live baiting. Um, and snelling is no, a no knot, uh, as I've heard some Americans refer to it. Um, and there is no knot. It's more twisting around the shank of the hook and using the, the shape of the hook to actually bind it to the line. Um, and then for the terminal stuff, like the, the hook on the very end in heavier leaders, a uni knot, a three or a four turn uni knot is, um, is my preferred knot just because of the fact that it cinches down nice um, in, that, in that heavier line. And, uh, you know, the heavier you go, the less turns you do. So you're talking three to four turns. And you'll find that you're not snug down really nice, no slack in them. And, um, yeah, you'll find that they work really effectively on the kings. Um, so all of your tackle, before you even go out there kingy fishing, you want to be tying those knots up at home. You want to be setting the drag on your reel and then testing this gear against a fence post or a power pole or something that's very stationary. And you want to be locking your gear up to, to the point where it's, right about to break and that's where you fish for kings <laughs> <laughs> what about it's, it's go on, go on. you're right go on it, it's redlining of your tackle so i use the same tackle on jewfish i set my drag at a third when i fish for kings i tie all my knots up and i fish them to the limit to the point where they're just about to break and then my drag slips Man, this is some interesting stuff. What about, you know, you, you're going out, you're, you're casting your lures out there. You know, obviously, you're changing lures to and from. And I get this question a lot when people actually email, you know, email me and say, oh, I'm not the best fisherman by any stretch of the imagination. But what do you do with people talk about, you know, quick connects? Do you just tie your, you know, you, you cut it? Because obviously leaders, you know, it's not, yes. you, know, you probably being in the business as well, it's not that cheap these days. So what do people, what do you generally use at the end? You've obviously, you've tied your leader straight onto your line and then you've got something there because if you want to change lures easily, you don't want to be cutting your leader. What do you generally use for that? Cut my leader and tie another knot. Oh, really? Just cut the leader and tie another knot? I cut it off there and I tie another solid knot to it, either a uni knot in line above 20 pound or I tie a locked blood knot in uh, in all my lines under that. Okay, right. There you go. Yeah. That's There you go, I, guys. I chop and change are... them. As soon as a, a tailor or anything marks that line or we've had a long pronounced fight with a fish, I cut that knot or retie it again. That's when I when we first started um, talking there. I mentioned the one percenters. They're the tiny one percenters that give us that really natural look with a fluorocarbon line running straight down to the hook without any other connections or quick clips or anything like that or anything else that can let us down. We're refining that tackle down to the point that we're minimising the amount of connections and failure points within our system. That we come out with a hundred percent percentage at the other end. Um, of, of a capture of a fish, we win. <laughs> exactly. I guess you're probably buying them in a thousand meters every time, so maybe it's not a big deal because I get all those questions from people saying, you know, what do I use? And I said I used to use those little quick clips, but I didn't know if it, you know, that's going to affect, you know, fish actually seeing those types of things as well, and you know, maybe 
being a little bit shied off that because, you know, sometimes you might want to try, you know, different lure, you know, three or four throughout a session and I guess continually, you know, cutting that back. I mean, it depends how much, obviously, leader you've got on there can, you know, obviously start eating yes. into your leader quite considerably, if you, especially if you're on holidays going out for, say, three or four weeks, you can probably go through some of your leader. But I guess that's fishing. It's like, you know, like hunting as well. I guess we didn't get into this because it was cheap. <laughs> yeah, 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 and you're not going to hold back on a bullet if you got the buck standing in front of you. That's right. <laughs> Just because right, you paid a dollar for it. <laughs> <laughs> you're 100 percent right. You're 100 percent right, mate. What's the best way? And I guess people catch them. And you were saying down near boys and stuff. How would you, I guess, fight the fish? Or what's the best way to play the kingfish? Let's say in in heavy structure, or when you're out, say in open water. And if they're in open water, will they try and dart to somewhere to to get you know into structure? Yes. So. Yes, they'll, they'll always try and go for the bottom. So kingfisher's fight is always generally towards the bottom. Um, if a kingfish starts fighting up in the water column, it's likely it's probably got a shark right behind it and it's starting to behave differently and, and rising to the surface to avoid the tax man. Um, but for the most part, kingfish always fight downwards and they will, if the structure involved, they will be aiming at that structure 90% of the time. Um, you will get fish that'll eat your bait and swim out away from the the um, structure and start fighting there. Uh, one of the tactics we do use is to keep the vessel closer to the structure in between you and the fish, uh, the structure and the fish. And the fish tend, tends to have a, a, a fight away from you. And so thus, if we're in front of the structure, we're keeping the fish fighting away from us. But it has a tail and there's water there. They can swim there and they can, you know, arc to there on a radius on tight tackle, on tight line and everything, tight drag. Um, so, and then you've got, and that, that's on sort of heavy tackle and heavier drags. So you can knock them down, drag them out type of thing. So you pump wine, pump wine, pump wine. And when the fish is pulling, you've got a nice um, absorby rod, a heavy, heavy duty rod, 10 to 15 kilo, if not a 20 kilo rod. But it has some give in it because you don't have any give with the drag. Now, that's one tactic. That's, and we sort of refer to them as a mirror fish for their fighting tactics. If we fight them heavy and hard, they'll fight us heavy and hard. And then you've got the opposite. So you can hook them in heavy cover and then fight them gently. And then if at times you have the mobility, you can lead that fish with the motor of the boat away from structure under light drag. And a lot of the times these fish will do what I call puppy dogging, where you literally lead them away from the structure and fight them in open water. Um, they can at times run you back to the structure. I've had every fight go a, a million different ways from hooking them and they just bust you off instantly as they eat your bait um, to, you know, fighting them for ages out in open water and thinking you're getting the upper hand, easing the drag off a little bit, and then they take one big run straight back to structure or find something on the bottom out in the middle of nowhere. Um yeah, to getting them up near the boat and then having them bust you off in your own boat and then, you know, wrap the angler around the motor. There's, if you could think of it, it'll happen with a kingfish pretty much. So, <laughs> so such a challenge in every aspect. Do you tend to, when you're obviously out there, especially on the harbour, obviously, which is the main area you get them, do you tend to just, uh, you, you don't anchor, obviously? So if you, if they're obviously, say, in structure or if they're open water, just sometimes you try and move the boat to, to take them out, if you know, so to speak, into open yes. water. So, the, so the, obviously the fight's a bit easier than trying to you know, pull them out of heavy structure? Yes. So these days we're using the electric motor on the front of our boats. Um, and we're spot locking on, on a GPS mark so that the boat's still mobile and we're not adding another piece of structure into the water, like an anchor rope running to the bottom. Thus, if we do hook a fish that needs to be moved, we can move. We're not, a, not attached and it doesn't take much to um, get us moving with a remote control and we can start heading out into open water. For the most part, I don't like the technique where I anchor. Um, I like to move through the fish to get reactions and this is why I downrig a lot for them um, when I'm live baiting. Uh, with lure casting, we're always mobile. So we've either got the electric motor in or we're just running off the main engine and throwing our lures, hook a fish, and we start pulling that fish away from structure is generally the the um, rule of thumb. And uh, the downrigger, the boat's always moving. You're trolling those baits and pulling them along through the water column. When a hookup occurs, we're motoring out and pulling that fish to deeper water or, or clearer water, I should say. How important is that? And you were talking about trolling too. Let's talk about that a little bit, moving through and, and moving those baits around. Is that obviously a good way to, to fish them as well? Yeah, so it doesn't give the kingfish, which is highly inquisitive, it doesn't give them a, a great opportunity to um, look at your bait and 
determine that it doesn't want to eat it. Um, a moving bait sort of triggers the fish's natural instincts and um, for reaction um, to either take the opportunity or let it pass. And for the most part, um, they will take the opportunity because they're super inquisitive. And if there's any kind of numbers of fish there, creates competition. And it's usually a, a, a given that they'll take the bait if they're there. Um, it's a very effective tool. As I said, you can present those baits right in front of the fish. If they're down low, if you see them higher in the water column, a quick manoeuvre on the, the handle of the downrigger, you can raise or lower that bait and present it right in the fish's face. Burley, mate, is that a big thing these days for, for kingfish or people don't bother, just you know, move you around, can. cover as much ground as possible? I don't bother. Yeah, you, you can, Burley. Um, I don't bother with that um, just for the fact of save the mess and everything like that. Um, I just don't buy bait, so I don't really have anything to burly with. Um, <laughs> you, you can do it, though. Like, there's not saying you can't buy a block of pilchards and, and sit there on a major point or, or around one of those structures, marker cans or wrecks or whatever, and, and put a cube trail down. I'm sure kingfish will come up the trail. Um, there's, there's no doubt about it. They are susceptible to just about every technique you can imagine. I know. I want to catch one of these little suckers, that's for sure. I know they're... Uh... So some great, some great to catch, you know, especially with how hard they fight and stuff. It sounds like it's very, very enjoyable. Uh, mm, they're uh, great to eat too, Jason. Well, that was actually getting onto my next question. <laughs> actually, my well, one of my final questions before maybe we get a little bit of a story. But what about eating the little suckers? Uh, the you know, what sizes are good to eat, and how how do you eat them? Same thing. Are they easy to fill it as well? Um, very easy to fill it as long as you bleed them and ice them immediately. I like to store them um, so they're, they're straight, not curled in an esky. That makes filleting of any fish um, very, very easy just because you, you, you don't have to chase around curves or anything. So your knife's going to follow those the bones down perfectly to remove all the flesh. Um, so they're great eating from the smaller sizes, your, your legal size, 65 centimetres and up to around that metre mark. Um, you can eat them bigger than that. A lot of guys these days, though, because of the, the stock levels, are choosing to release those bigger fish, and a lot of the offshore charter guys setting very good examples um, with tagging and releasing of uh, metre-plus fish. Uh, it's a great ethos. Um, we release a lot of our bigger fish as well, um, but it all depends on you know, if the client's local or from interstate as to whether they keep fish or not. Uh, but that smaller size, I definitely love eating. Um, the bigger they are, the thicker the fillet it gets, the longer you sort of got to cook it for and the more drier it can turn out. Um, so you really want to portion it down. Now, it's not all about cooking with kingfish, though, because some of the best kingfish you'll eat is raw uh, as sashimi. Wow, and it yeah, is okay. phenomenal. It is very good. I look forward to it every time um, we retain a king to eat, um, is to have that beautiful fresh sashimi um, that nothing else compares to. Qu- question you brought up about bleeding them. What does that achieve? Make sure you bleed them properly. I know when got a guys, you know, try and get salmon in certain parts of the year, some guys eat them. I think, you know, I reckon they taste good once they're bled. So what does the bleeding process do? Uh, bleeding just removes a lot of blood from the veins that run through the flesh. Um, so it makes for a, a lot cleaner um, fillet. It can also help um, reduce body temperature to bring the temperature of the fish down while icing it after death. Um, so that the fish isn't actually cooking from the inside out. Um, but it's mainly to remove the blood from the fish um, for a cleaner fillet. Um, if you don't really do it, you'll find once you start taking the fillet off, the, the meat can become discoloured with the blood all over it. Yeah, so I, I just it's a habit. I just bleed every fish that I catch. I, I cut the throat latch. I usually invert the fish in, into the, my live well slash kill tank. Uh, depends on what we're doing on the day. And uh, I let them... Um, bleed out in there before placing them in my fish chiller bag on ice and uh, making a slurry and chilling that fish as quickly as possible. Yeah. Do you get a lot of clients that obviously when they do catch those legal size fish that want to take them home and eat them? Do you get a lot of that? Oh, yeah. yeah. And at times I, I somewhat convince them to because... <laughs> I'll be like, hang on, you caught it, give it to me, I want to eat that tonight. <laughs> but I guess, no, you've got to give it to them. Oh, no, it's definitely their fish. Um, you know, <laughs> I have been known to take a surplus fillet here and there. Uh, it's only if they offer. The fish are always the clients, um, but the clients are more than willing to uh, allowed to do whatever they, they want. They can release the fish if they choose, and I have not a problem at all with that. It's, um, you'll find a lot of people will keep one or two. They're pretty pretty sustainable, most of our clients these days, and then um, release the bigger fish and just keep a couple for a feed for their immediate needs. Yeah. Do you get sick of eating fish too, No. No, no, I get sick of eating steak. I want more fish. 
Yeah, I know. I, like, I don't mind fish. I like certain types of fish over others. But, yeah, no, I like eating my fish too. It's certainly – I've gotten back into it over the last year, eating a lot more salmon or even some of the cheaper stuff I don't mind as well. But, you know, I prefer yeah. some of the Australian stuff. But, you know, sometimes a bit harder to get unless you've got a boat and things like that. So that, hence that the reason I might come out with you. <laughs> yeah, well, there's nothing like a fish that you've caught yourself. There's, um, there's a great self-satisfaction in, in you know – um, angling a fish out, you know, and fooling a fish, and illegal fish, retaining it, bleeding it, icing it, treating it well, and then um, and then enjoying the fruits of your labour at the end of the day and nice cold beer. Mm. There's something very satisfying about that. I need one story, mate, to finish off something that, you know, over the last, I guess, what, since 2015, I think May we spoke, uh, anything that, uh, you know, sticks in your mind as a, as a great day, either for a client and or yourself, any personal accomplishments or...? Yeah, so we had um, oh, we had a young gentleman by the name of Declan Lee. He came up from Tasmania with his father and his brother. Uh, their ambition was to catch kingfish. Uh, they came up and specifically Friday night they came up and and um, we went out fishing on the Saturday and they were flying back out that afternoon. It was a specific trip for a kingfish. Now the day before I'd been fishing on the harbour um, with a couple of sort of thirty something gentlemen. And they just solely wanted to fish light tackle for kingfish. And they hooked four fish and never landed a single one of them. This is on the 20-pound tackle. All of them were on poppers. All of them were off marker cans and structures in the harbour. And all of them were massive. Huge kingfish all of a sudden had just appeared. There was small fish the day before. And this particular day, there was monsters everywhere. And we couldn't land a fish. We went heavier tackle, wouldn't eat it. And we had to stay with this 20-pound tackle, but we couldn't land a fish. Well, we tried. We thought we were winning on a few of them, but um, very powerful. And the next day, I've got this young child, uh, this young teenager coming out with his dad and his, his younger brother. I went straight back. Well, we went and caught squid initially. And they, were, they were very proficient young anglers, um, been exposed for a large part of their young life and um, by their dad. We went and caught squid. Within an hour, we had 10 squid. And um, I head straight back to the last place where I seen the biggest fish the day before. I cut the squid head off the biggest squid we caught. And as I pulled up to the marker, there was this massive kingfish tailing on the surface again, exactly the same as the day before. And we pitched the squid head straight in, unweighted, no downrigger, no nothing, um, no anchor in the water. We just, there was the fish. We pitched the bait straight to it. It didn't eat it the first time. We wound the bait out, represented the bait again, a little bit more up current, so it drifted in. And it ate it straight away, right in plain view. We clicked the reel into gear after we let it take a, a little bit of line. And um, young Declan was on the rod, 14 years old, first thing in the morning, you know, weary. <laughs> it would have been about 5, 5 6 a.m. or something like that. And uh, we hooked him up. We started the, the engine. Well, the engine was already running. And we dragged that fish out into the middle. This is on the 50-pound gear. And he, he did a stellar job. Um, the young kids, they can't put a lot of muscle into the fight, so they have to use a lot of technique. The pumping, the winding, we got a little bit less of drag pressure and everything on that. And um, he pulled out an absolute whopping first ever kingfish for himself of a metre 14, which is quite a large harbour fish. Um, you don't see too many of them each season um, at that size. There are a lot bigger in there, but whether you can land them is a, a different caper. There's a very achievable fish. And he did a wonderful job. He got a lot of photos and he released it. Wow. And, uh, yeah, that one, that one sticks to mind. That, that was seven days after we caught a metre 40 Dewey in the Hawkesbury. So it was just a little period of time that just <laughs> seemed to produce a lot of big fish. Man, that's yeah. awesome. Lucky, lucky little man. I guess that's what they came for, and I guess their their uh, expectations were exceeded. Oh, <laughs> massively. It exceeded my expectations. <laughs> the funny thing about that story is that fish had a mark on his face, and I reckon it was the same fish my clients had hooked the day before. And over, overnight, in the period of 12 hours or whatever it was that we weren't fishing for him, he's removed the popper, whether on structure or something like that, and has left these these marks where the hooks were in the side of his face. And I'm quite sure it was the same fish. He was behaving the same way as the fish was the day before, tailing around up on the surface, showing himself. I'm, I'm quite sure it was the same fish. It was quite an exciting couple of days on the water. Unbelievable. To, to end, you know, with the, the highlight of actually landing um, quite a sizable fish off there with appropriate tackle, I might add. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I want to ask you a question just so people will know if they wanted to book your services. How many people can you fit on the boat at one time? 
so I take a maximum of three people, so it's quite personalised. Um, I've also upgraded my boat. We're now uh, running a Santa console. So it's the same, same boat. Um, I've just upgraded it, put a lovely console and stainless steering wheel and everything, um, the Lowrance 9-inch um, sounder up on the dash there. And it, it's great for moving around in the harbour. The guys can hold on to the rails and it's very solid and, uh, you know, we can beat our way through the waves and things like that, all the boat traffic, while we're chasing the schools around. Um, it's quite, you know... Personable. We can lure fish and everything. There's no superstructure of the boat, so there's nothing to catch your lures on or, you know, break rods on or anything like that. It's a very fishy vessel. Um, all carpeted decks, lots of space, big esky, um, live well. Yeah, electric motor. Excellent. Very well set up for what we do. Perfect. All right, and just going through it again, if they wanted to get in contact, how do they do it again? So you can look us up on the web at www.sydneysportfishing.com.au. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram under the same name, Sydney Sport Fishing Adventures. Um, you'll find us on both of those. Or you can call me or text me on 0405196253. Excellent, mate. I appreciate you joining me again. I know it was episode 85. We spoke again before. And um, like I'm just urging people that are listening to the show, book in, tell him. I always try and tell people because every time I do the show or – you know, someone might be you know, running a business or something. I said, if you're hearing this on the show, tell Dan you heard him from Australian Hunting Podcast. So at least he knows this is, you know, this is beneficial. And, you know, obviously a purpose here is to get the information out to my listeners. But also, again, you know, I'm urging people to, you know, if you're in Sydney and you want to go out, then you want to catch them and you're not catching them, you know, go out with Dan and tell him you heard him you know, on Australian Hunting Podcast and, you know, that way he knows, obviously, and again, business is coming from here and it's obviously, you know, a good a good arrangement here. So, Dan, thanks for your time, man. I, I really appreciate it and um, hopefully we can chat again soon. Excellent, Jason, mate. I really appreciate it too, mate. And um, we had very positive feedback from the Mulloway podcast. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm expecting the same to come out of this as well, mate. Um, it's always a pleasure. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.